0: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Go Help Yourself, a comedy self-help podcast to make life suck less. This is your host, Misty Stinnett, and normally I am joined by the inimitable Lisa Linky. But today, alas, today is a new day. It is a special day. Lisa's no longer with us. And I don't mean in the corporeal sense, she's alive and she's well, but she is not here on the podcast. She's not across on the computer screen with me. Instead, I have a very special guest host, Dr. Nikita T. Hamilton. Nikita, welcome back to the podcast. Thank
1: you so much for having me.
0: It's, it is truly our pleasure. <laughs> Trust me, you Nikita has read a whole book, and she's going to present it today so that Lisa and I don't have to, and we are thrilled. <laughs> We're thrilled for it. Thank you so much. And if it's your first time joining us, this is a comedy self-help podcast to make life suck less. And what we do is each week, we read and review a popular self-help book. We give you the highs, the lows, the goods, the bads, the gorgeous, the uglies all the points you want to know and a lot of them that you don't so that you know if the book is worth reading if you like what you're hearing go support the author if you don't just don't tell anybody pretend you read it and and like you know what it said and it's fine okay no one's going to know the point is we're reading the book so that you don't have to and you can go about your busy life and get the perspective altering self-help advice that everyone has told you just do something about your personality already So, (laughs) with that, (laughs) um, you're welcome. So, for the longtime loyal listeners, you have heard Nikita on a mini-sode. Actually, Nikita, I think we recorded almost... To the day this year, yeah, or last I think year. we
1: recorded in July last year, so it's been almost a year. June, oh, July, really? something oh, like that.
0: For mm. some reason, I had oh, you know what it was when I looked up your bio, which I'm about to read to everybody. When I looked it up again, uh, the emails were from May 25th of 2019, and I was like, look <laughs> at that, it's like our yearly Nikita check in. <laughs> So so let me tell you how amazing Nikita is. Dr. Nikita T. Hamilton is a staff writer on Freeform's The Bold Type and ABC's A Million Little Things, as well as an actress and a comedian. She is hilarious. She does stand-up comedy all over Los Angeles. And she also hosts The Whisper Network, a podcast that delves into Hollywood jobs and the industry's open secrets and tries to shed light on the intersection between academia and industry. And... when you fall in love with her, we will put her Instagram handle in show notes so that you can follow her on social media as well. Nikita, oh casual. Yeah. <laughs> so casual. You sound so good. Yeah. You're real dumb. Real dumb. <laughs> okay. So let's dive in. What are you bringing us today? Today I am bringing you a grief observed
1: by C.S. Lewis. Yes. Yes. So, um, and I'll tell you more about the book after I do uh, the standard. Uh, go help yourself. Information, which is that uh, the hardcover ten ninety nine. Oh, paperback also ten ninety nine. So you go ahead and get that hardcover. Excuse me, treat yourself. You go get that hardcover. <laughs> the Kindle eleven ninety nine audiobook It's more expensive than the hard copies? I don't know why. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and then uh audiobook 13.96. Amazing. And how did you read it? I read it in, in in paperback. I love holding a book and like being able to like write in it and highlight and I've had this book for 10 years. So 10 years. Yeah, I got this book in in 2009. oh, almost 11 years. Yeah. Amazing. And this is one you've read a couple of times, right? Um this is my second time reading it. So I read it then and I'll I'll go into into that with you guys for sure. But I just want to read a little bit
0: about the author. Yes, please. I'm st- I'm a, I'm a stay on <laughs> track don't so, yeah and here i am just wanting to divert so please <laughs> keep the train going
1: um so clive staples lewis was one of the intellectual giants of the 20th century and arguably the most influential christian writer of his day and this is what is inside of the book so he was a fellow and tutor in english literature at oxford until 1954 when he was unanimously elected to the chair of medieval and renaissance english at cambridge university a position he held until his retirement. He wrote more than 30 books, allowing him a very vast audience, and his works continue to attract thousands of new readers every year. His most distinguished and popular accomplishments include The Chronicles of Narnia, Mm -hmm. Out of the Silent Planet, The Four Loves, The Screwtape Letters, and Mere Christianity.
0: I have to tell you, I have been recording in my closet since March 14th today, you know, Lisa and I have been timestamping the episodes, everybody. Today is May 17th. So if we say anything and the world is way different when this episode comes out, that's why. <laughs> but I've been recording in my closet for like nine weeks and I cannot get a secret world to appear no matter how hard I try. <laughs> have you been knocking on the walls though? Because that's like an important part of it, I feel like. Oh, mm-mm, not at all. I've just been yelling. Yeah, just
1: been no, yelling. I think you have to like knock or maybe like push. Usually some kind of game of hide and seek needs to be happening. Oh great to okay. really like
0: help generate the magic. <laughs> I think that's how it works. I'll you, I'll check in on the next weekly beef on how it goes. Thank yeah. you.
1: <laughs> and uh, the cover here, it looks like it has um, some roses with some thorns. C. S. his name is across the front. Damn. And then in a very simple font it says a grief observed.
0: Lovely. Nice and Looks simple. Looks good on a shelf. mm mm-hmm.
1: yeah. um, So how many pages is it? It has a 31-page forward and introduction, um, which I definitely suggest reading. And the book mm-hmm. itself is 76 pages. So it's a pretty quick read. Whoa. So it's yeah. like 100 pages. Yeah. It's not very oh. long at all. A little over 100 pages. When I first picked up this book um, which, you know, like I said, is now almost 11 years ago. I wanted to read works from a theologian and Mm. I loved the Chronicles of Narnia as a kid, like I read Mm. every single book. And so I thought who better to go with than one of the greats. So I got a grief observed. I think I also bought the problem of pain and mere Christianity. So I bought three or four of his books and just read right through
0: them. (laughs) And are they as good as the Chronicles of Narnia? They're very different
1: because the Chronicles of Narnia is a big allegory about Mm -hmm. God, and these are are more so Lewis talking just to you or um, theorizing on something as opposed to kind of masking it in an adventure. So it's just a Mm -hmm. kind of different experience. I I feel like uh, this book and um, Problem of Pain. Oh, I also have The Great Divorce, which is essentially about his. Imagining of hell
0: is for adults.
1: <laughs> it's like for us. It's to for kind of grab- adults. It's for adults.
0: I was <laughs> in say. quarantine in a pandemic. Yeah,
1: I think I think that the Chronicles of Narnia is for the children, and mm-hmm. uh, grappling with hell and grief is for the adults.
0: <laughs> I mean, these titles. These titles are so evocative.
1: Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So let's dive in to uh, summarizing this book. So. Uh, just background information: Lewis wrote the words here, and I'm sure many more during um, the loss of his wife, Joy Davidman. So mm. this is these words are coming from his journal. Um, Joy, who he refers to as H in the book, was sick when they got married. So she had cancer, I believe. Yeah, when they got married, um, so he they oh, both knew wow. she was going to die but she um, went into remission and unexpectedly giving them more time than they thought they would have. And, and then she died. And, um, I think it was just more painful than he could have ever imagined losing her despite knowing from the beginning that that would happen.
0: That's astounding. Yes. Yes. And I'm so glad you're covering this because I, I have been wanting to cover the topic of grief for a while. You know, I say that as though it could possibly be covered in an episode or a series of episodes. Of course it can't, but it's something that's near and dear to my heart. And I'm Mm -hmm. so glad that we're finally touching on this. And especially at this very poignant time in the world and as humans. Yeah. I think we're all feeling grief about a lot of things.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, um, I think a part of what I like and why I suggested that people, if they did decide that they want to read this book, should read the forward and the introduction is because one, you get more information about Lewis himself, but um, the forward, which is written by Madeline Langle, who we know wrote over wrinkle in time. Mm-hmm. And the introduction, which is written by Douglas H. Gresham with it, which it, who's one of his stepsons is that you're also seeing two other people express how reading this book impacted them and their experiences with grief in both similar and different ways. So I kind of almost feel like reading their words are like, oh, I'm seeing how, even though this is not your stereotypical self-help book, that there are things for me to take from this, but also it'll give me maybe some of the language to talk about how I experience grief differently.
0: Yeah. And that's so, God, just having language for things. Mm-hmm. is like the most critical step sometimes definitely, yeah, definitely.
1: So in the forward um, Madeline Langle, she says she writes, you know each experience of grief is unique, right, and mm-hmm. um, but there are similarities, and what she says are the similarities are the feeling of fear, the needing to swallow the forgetfulness, perhaps mm-hmm. all believing people feel like Lewis, a horror of those who say in a tragedy, thy will be done as though a God of love never wills anything but good for us creatures. We also tend to share the fear of loss of memory. Um, and I, I was like, this is, I was like, we're on page, uh, you know, 13 here of the, <laughs> in the beginning. Yeah, they was waste like, no time. Yeah, she's they're wasting, wasting no, no time. time. <laughs> she wasted no time at all. And I think one was one of the interesting things she says is like her, when she wrote this, She'd lost her husband, but they had been together for decades. And um and with Lewis, she's like they he and Joy met later in life. She had been married before, had children. Um he I don't think had ever expected to get married. And um, you know, as I said, they knew she was going to die. So he she she's like, We had very different marriages. And, um, very different time together. So she's like, I think our grief is unique because we, we don't share these things. She's like, but we share the feeling of fear. We share, um, Mm -hmm. the forgetfulness. We share, um, the fear of losing the memory of this person who was so important to us. And, um, and you know, there I'm like the, you know, the similarities, the differences. And, um, she writes about how, the human being is allowed to grieve. It's normal. It's right. And the Christian um, is not to be denied this natural response of loss. So a lot of this, you know, he's a theolo- a theologian. So he talks about God and he talks about Christianity and, you know, full disclosure, I'm a Christian. So th- mm-hmm, that was a part mm-hmm. of me wanting to read it. Um, and I-, I love that that's woven into it because I think also sometimes it's made to seem that those who are religious or, you know, believe in God in one way or another, um, aren't allowed to to be sad or to have questions or to need answers. Uh, and, and right. Cause I, it's all his plan and it's all, all his, plan, his divine it's all his will, will and mm-hmm. all of that. And, um, he's going to get into questioning um and so okay. I think that's why she was like the Christian is not to be denied the natural response to loss.
0: Mm. And, and do you uh, do you feel like this book, if you're not a Christian, it still would resonate?
1: Oh, I definitely think it would. Um and I know you asked that question about like who's this perfect for and all that at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, mean, baby. I yeah. But uh I do think there's something for anyone to take away from this.
0: Yeah. Sounds like it's dealing with universals. Yeah, I think it's
1: dealing with universals. And I think it, he makes space for acknowledging your own experience because he is solely in his experience and saying, this is how I feel, um, mm-hmm. which I think sometimes frees people to say, well, this is how I feel, me mm-hmm. as an individual. And I can I can claim my specific, unique kind of grief. Yeah. And... Um, Langle says what she loves about this book is that Lewis had the audacity and the bravery to yell and doubt and punch at God with everything he had. Oh, wow. And if he, a successful and famous Christian apologist can do it, it frees the rest of us. You know, me personally, I never liked the idea that I couldn't be upset with God. Like he's not a child his feelings aren't right. Hurt. <laughs> right And so, um, I think this is a great expression of that coming from someone who I would think a lot of people would look to and say, well, if he can be upset after all of these works that he's done, mm. why can't I ask these questions? Um, Liberating. yeah, I felt in, in that way for sure. And then, um, his stepson, uh, Douglas H. Gresham talks about, how lewis had suffered loss at a, at a young age he lost his mother at 9 he'd lost friends over the years from world war 1 from sickness and he'd written about love about poetry and all these things but none of those experiences prepared him for the intersection of love and great loss because he'd never right. experienced that before uh, and so he you know met his soulmate and then experienced the loss of loving and being loved And so we're, we're watching him grapple with that. And, um, another thing that will, um, come up later is, um, the idea of people's embarrassment at, um, when someone loses someone and now it's like, well, how do I comfort them? Or what do I do? Or what do I say?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And Gresham talks about how in, and we'll touch on it that Lewis says, you know, when I would mention their mother, the stuff, you know, my kids, the kids would get embarrassed. And Gresham says, when I read that, I realized he didn't know what was really happening. It wasn't that I was embarrassed that he was bringing up his mom. I was embarrassed that he felt that as soon as he mentioned his mom, all he wanted to do was cry. But he's like, I'm a young British boy. British men don't cry. So what the embarrassment w- that he was feeling was not embarrassment about his stepdad saying his mother's name or mentioning her. It was his own embarrassment about trying to deal with the feelings that he had because mm-hmm. of what emotion her name elicited. And he was like, there's no worse thing than to be reduced to a puddle of tears for a, yeah. <laughs> for a British man, for a British boy. So his embarrassment right. was stemming from societal pressures on how he was supposed to be grieving. But to to Lewis, oh. he was like, "Oh, I'm embar- I shouldn't mention her to the kids. It, it embarrasses them." And then he's feeling like he's do, you know managing people's embarrassment. so and I think that's something that people also uh, deal with. And then the final point mm-hmm. from the intro that I, I think w- was so interesting is that he says, "All human relationships end in pain."
0: Oh <laughs> Oh, right. <laughs> Right. And you're like, oh, let's think. Hold on. Let's think about that for a second. Well, if they hated the relationship. Yeah. If yeah, they're meaningful, if they're meaningful, all meaningful, meaningful they'll end in pain. Um,
1: And we'll we'll circle back to that.
0: Well, yeah. And this, is you know, <laughs> to address a couple of the points, mm-hmm. you know, something Lisa and I have chatted about on here is just this idea that, like, you can't really have great loss without great love. Mm hmm. Right. And, and then the whole thing about great love is there's always the, the fear, the shadow of loss. Mm-hmm. And they're just, unfortunately, two sides of the same coin. Yeah. And in my own experience, uh, for those listening who don't know, my dad passed away suddenly in 2012. It, it is the singular most, you know, tragic moment of my life and, and the grief that follows was really intense, um, and still is at some points. And, and something that's resonating with me already from the book is something I wasn't prepared for or something that made grieving even more difficult was when I, felt like I couldn't be authentic to what I was feeling in the moment in order to acquiesce to the comfort of whoever was in front of me. Mm -hmm. Because so many people don't know what to say. They don't have practice sitting in the discomfort of that. A lot of today's thinking is like, positive vibes only. And Mm -hmm. like, you'll get through it. And like, Someone else will come around. And it's like, no, you know, none of that is, is true. And I, I found my greatest comfort in being in the company of other people who had also lost a parent mm-hmm. or been through great grief because they didn't try to fix it. They, they just were comfortable sitting in it and being like, yep, you're in the dead dad club now. Welcome. There's a lot of us here. <laughs> and then the other thing was feeling self conscious about still being so incredibly deeply sad and angry and yearning, you know, insert emotion here, well past what it felt like people thought was appropriate mm-hmm. for me to feel sad. At some point, I find that people who haven't been through it themselves sort of expect you to like normalize pretty quickly, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, or in a certain amount of time. So that's resonating.
1: It's true. And I I think... There's something to be said for having had a certain experience that you have in common with someone else. And, Mm. um, you know, I lost my dad at the age of eight. Mm. And so (laughs) I've been in the club. I'm in the club. Um, (laughs) you're in the club. It's a (laughs) shitty club, club, you guys. Don't join this club. (laughs) Um, but even in being in that club, I recognized years ago that the experience, even within that, they're different, you know? Oh, yeah. Wildly. Yeah. You Mm -hmm. know, it's like how much uh, losing someone at eight is very different than losing them when you're in your teens or in your 20s or when you're old, you know? And so... Um, even making room for that and what that looks like and what that experience looks like. But I think just having that baseline experience opens you up to being okay with someone else's pain in a in a way. And yes. um yeah, and Lewis is gonna go through so many things, and I'm really interested in seeing what like you know, resonates with you. So, yeah, in the first chapter, I kind of broke each chapter into you know, kind of subheadings. So in chapter one, which doesn't have a name. It's just called chapter one. Um, I, I felt like it had three parts, which were what grief feels like and involves to God and three Lewis's thoughts, concerns, and frustrations, which I call the TCFs. (laughs) Mm. Um, and so what grief feels like and involves. And so he says grief feels like fear, which Langle mentioned, uh, the fluttering in your stomach, dry mouth and throat. And he said, it's also feeling like being drunk. Like you can't take in what people are saying. It's as if there's mm-hmm. a veil between you and the world. Yeah. And I thought that was so poignant. Like I was like that, that it kind of, cause you are experiencing something and you're like, Oh, other people aren't there with me right now. Um, yes. And there's not much I can do about it. And he, you know, says, he writes logically, he knows that life involves more than just love than that romantic love. But emotionally, he doesn't feel that way at the moment. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like there's things outside of that. Um right. He also says uh, grief involves this, like, laziness that he found. He's like, he, fa- he doesn't want to do anything. He now understands, he goes, I now understand how a house can go from being tidy to untidy to disgusting. I don't want, he doesn't want to do anything. Nothing Absolutely. feels important. He talks about the agony that he finds him in, but himself in, but he prefers that to wallowing and feelings of self-pity. Um, mm. and And it's there that he finds concern and frustration which we're, we're going to talk about um and later and he said one of the issues with grief is that not only are you suffering but you're also thinking about the fact that you're suffering
0: oh so constantly it's, so it's
1: this twofold thing that you're dealing with you're dealing with mm-hmm. the embarrassment of others um like the kids and like you you know you were saying managing other people's feelings Mm-hmm. And then uh, something that really stood out to me is that he said visiting places that the two of them were happy doesn't feel mm-hmm. much different than going anywhere else. He said the act of living is altogether different now mm-hmm. um, and that the only place he feels her um, absence locally is in his body because his body had a different importance as H's lover. He knows that it could become important again if he were to fall ill. But for now, he feels like its function has fallen away.
0: Oh, that's so tragic. It's so beautifully put. Yeah, it's so beautiful. I went to a really, really devastating funeral uh, in January of this year. Mm -hmm. And um, the best way I'd ever heard it put from the person who was speaking was that normality now feels obscene Mm. in grief, like every, like the blue sky, the sun shining, like how can this be possible? Mm -hmm. You know, how dare they (laughs) kind of. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So living is altogether different. Sounds like.
1: Yeah. It's things have shifted. Mm -hmm. Um, and then regarding God, he said that H's death caused him to question who God is. He felt Mm. like God was present at the times of prosperity, but not now at this time of desperation. He Mm. describes it as knocking on the door that should be open if he asks, but he hears that it's locked and bolted. And um, even in this lonely, yeah. And but it was then he says, you know, even in this, he says his marriage solidified for him that God was not a substitute for love are manufactured out of our unconscious starved desires because despite being so in love and so filled by one another, he and H never lost their interest in God. So he's grappling with being, feeling like completely abandoned, but knowing in his heart that this, this exists. Um, right. And then his thoughts, concerns and frustration. So a concern he had was that he felt like in wallowing and self-pity that he felt like he was misrepresenting H in his memory that he was turning her into this doll or our, you know, a perfected picture of the person that we lost. Yeah. And he doesn't, he doesn't mean like wiping away just the bad things about them, but that we, we sanitize them to a certain extent. And in what we were talking about, where I was like, everyone's experience, even though the same thing might've happened to them is different. I once had a conversation. It was, it was four of us at dinner, four women, um, a friend of mine and and two of her friends who I was meeting and, um, you know, became friends as well. But we all realized sitting there that all of us had lost our fathers. Wow. But for two of us, we lost our dads around the age, I think like eight or nine. And for the two others, they'd lost their dads, I think in college. Hmm. And we were talking about how for the, the ones who had lost their dad's older, there were other issues that they were also grappling with along with the grief, like what, um, bumps had been in the relationship and issues that they'd had and all these things that they also had to grapple with in addition to the loss. And for me and the other person who lost our fathers much younger, um, it was, you know, and I, I'm going to speak for me, my dad can kind of be whatever I want.
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: because I didn't know him well enough, you know, how much do you get to know unless usually something negative about your parents at that age? It's like, once we get older, we kind of get to know them better as people. Um, but you know, I was just like, I have certain memories that are, are great. And I, you know, the, I can kind of build this person in my mind. I, I miss the idea, you know, I, I mourn the loss of, Potentially, you know, getting walked down the aisle and father daughter dances and all these things. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I don't yeah. know if he would or wouldn't have done those things. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but in my mind, I can say he did because I can build a, a person in a way that the other women were not able to do because they had that person there for that time. So when he starts talking about like, I, I, I know I'm, I'm creating a sanitized, um, vision of her that, isn't her and misrepresents her. And I don't want to do that. I was like, I can understand that feeling of, of knowing you're doing this thing and not
0: being able to necessarily stop it. Um, yeah. and, and I definitely grappled yeah. with, um well, wait, was my dad as great as I thought he was, mm. was, was he, you know, because memories are distorted, but you mm-hmm. know, like they really are like, think, think, about how differently two people remember the experience of a fight, Uh right? They might remember it totally differently. And uh, a year later, you might think about that fight and go, oh, it was a lot worse than I thought it was, or Uh oh, it was so much better than I thought it was. And it's like, we're really at the mercy of whatever our brain's want to do. Yeah. And however they want to change it. And I can't imagine, uh, what that was like for C.S. Lewis, because it's not like he had like an iPhone that he was recording videos of her all the time, you know, or voicemails from her or, or those sorts of things that, that some of us do in this social media. Mm -hmm. age, Yeah. Yeah. So it's all up to your, your documentation, right?
1: Yeah. Your mind. And, um. He shares some thoughts, which is, and this is a quote, one never meets just cancer or war or unhappiness or happiness. And by that, he's talking about the fact that we meet ups and downs. There are downs even in the best times and there are ups even during the worst times. And that's what yes. life is. And, yes. and something that, you know, as soon as you were talking about, you know, dealing with other people and their discomfort. And th- it made me think of this which is he said, you really can't share someone else's weakness or fear or pain. It can't be transferred. The mind can sympathize, but our miseries are our own. Yes. You know, our grief is our own. And he wrote her miseries would be the coming of age of mine. Wow. And, uh, you know, cause her death sets him on this road, sets him into thinking about these things. And, um, one of his frustrations it was people who would say there is no death or death doesn't matter and he's like there is death it does matter <laughs> and it has and it's the consequences worst. yeah he's like mm-hmm. it has consequences that are irrevocable and irreversible
0: mm-hmm. Um, and I, he's grappling with them and and it changes us as uh, fundamentally shifts us as human beings mm-hmm. and when it's a when it's a big loss yeah when it's like so close
1: and. Um, and he was frustrated because he said her face has, is becoming a blur to him. And he thinks that this happens because when we're so close to someone, we have taken them in at every angle, at every expression, at so many moments that they blur together in our minds. And it's difficult to grasp this clear picture, um, and like put it together. And, but he said he's thankful because her voice was still vivid to him.
0: It's interesting so many things seem so vivid when a loss has just happened or someone was just alive a few months ago. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking like, I will never forget what my dad's voice sounds like. I will never forget what he looks like. And then in talking with some relatives of mine that, you know, lost their dad 30 years ago, they admitted like, I'm, I've, forgotten what his voice sounds like, you know, and you Mm -hmm. you go like, how could that ever happen? How could that possibly ever happen when you're in that moment? And then time goes by, you know, and Mm -hmm. it's just like, it's, uh, I was very lucky in the sense that I had three voicemails from my dad that I could save. Mm -hmm. And every now and then I go back and listen to them just so I can hear his voice and remember what it sounded like in the timber. And it all comes flooding back, but like, Mm -hmm. I, I know that if I let 10 years go by without listening to those, you know, mm-hmm. again, the mind can distort and it can start to fade. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. So yeah. that's
1: chapter one. Uh, and there's only this four chapters. So chapter two is all about H and God. And with H, he talks about his concerns more, but also their marriage and, um, his concerns are that, um, first. And I thought that was kind of funny of him, but he was like, looking at what he's written, he feels like you think H's death mattered chiefly for its effects on him. (laughs) So he's like, let me spend some time talking about her. And he just does it in this like lovely admiring way. He talks about how she had a palette for all joys that was just fresh and unspoiled And, um, that he thinks about her all the time. And he, he wrote this, this chapter was about a month and a half after her death. And he feels like he's, he's slowly turning her into a doll. His mind is doing what we were just talking about. And he's Mm. concerned that she in his mind is becoming more and more an imaginary woman, a composition that will be more and more his own mind instead of her, instead of the real her, because she's not there to stop it by being thoroughly herself in front of him. And he, he asks, he's like, can you just come back for a moment to drive away the
0: phantom. You know what it reminds me of, Nikita? What? It's like how we're all like, so many of us are like, man, I really miss being home. Like, (laughs) I can't wait to go home for the holidays. Like Christmas is gonna be amazing. (laughs) And then we get there. Everyone's stressed. You can't get a word in edgewise. You're sleeping on an air mattress in the living room. You have no privacy. And, you know, Aunt Barbara gets up at 4 a.m. or whatever. And it's like just not at all what you pictured. Yeah. And then it's this, like, stressful thing. And then you go home and, like, around, like, June, you're like man, I really miss home. Like, I can't wait for the holiday. <laughs> yeah, because you're like,
1: you. this is the mind. And we romanticize it. Yeah. And he, he uses an example that's like kind of similar to yours, which is like, he says he ran into a man that he knows he knew, but he hadn't seen in a decade. And he's like, I remember so many things about this man completely differently. He's like, he calls it a faded mental picture. Mm-hmm. Like, and mm-hmm. he's like, how can he hope that this doesn't happen to H, that it's not already happening and he compares yeah. it to snowfall. It covers everything and you can shovel some of it away, but then it just keeps on following and it co- falling and it covers everything again. Um, and oh. you kind of just like you said, it's, Oh, I want to go home so badly. And then, you know, six months later you go there, you don't want to, you're like, why did I think this? And six months later, you're right back where you were. Yeah. Um, and so <laughs> he also mentions a story about a man was walking and had like all this gardening stuff and said he was going to go visit his mom and he was going to her grave to like clean it up and put flowers and all this stuff. And at the time he was like, what a ridiculous thing to say. Like, why would you say you're visiting your mom? You're not really visiting her. It's just the, the grave. But he now he's like, actually, that makes more sense to me than preserving and caressing this image that I've created of her in my mind. That is just a puppet and not her. Mm. And um, you just see him kind of grappling. And he writes one thing about marriage that I thought was really great, which he says, the most precious gift that marriage gave me was this constant impact of something very close and intimate, yet all the time, unmistakably other resistant in a word real. He is just... He's got a way with words. So
0: beautiful. The
1: man's oh got a way with words. So the second part of the chapter, he's, he's grappling with, with his faith in God. Hmm. And um, he says he never had an issue praying for the dead, but finds himself unable to do it for H. It feels like he's speaking into a vacuum to a non-entity. Hmm. And he realizes that the only real risk tests, um, the only real risk tests the reality of our belief. So the faith that enabled him to pray for other um, dead people seemed strong only because he'd never desperately cared whether it existed or not. It was Mm. easy to do when he had nothing on the line. And so Mm. he's there asking himself where she is now. But he's like, where is where without a body? And what is now if time may not be the same wherever where is And people tell him, you know, she's with God and he agrees that she, like God, is now incomprehensible and unimaginable. (laughs) He he doesn't want to be consoled
0: by religion right now. Right. He just sounds so confused Mm -hmm. and lonely. And this question of like, well, if she's not my memory and she's no longer here and clearly she was real because she had this big effect. But. Now she's gone, and why does this matter? And why does it not matter? And what does it mean? It's just like it's such a confusing time. It's a lot, and and he's like, people are telling
1: me that she's happy, that she's at peace, but how do they know that? He's, no, they don't
0: know, and no <laughs> one knows. <laughs> he's the like, the how dead he, know.
1: Yeah, it's like she. He's like, I don't know that for sure, and and he's like, and why would people believe that suffering ends at death? He's, um, and the quote he says is, "Why should separation, if nothing else, which so agonizes the lover who is left behind, be painless to the lover that departs?" And I was like, "Oh, I've never really thought about this." And I'm sure, oh my eleven God. years ago, when I read this, I was like, "Oh, I've never thought about
0: this." You're no, you're so right. And I'm, as you know, I am not religious. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't ascribe to a, a specific religion, but. Even that being true, I had, you know, I had always assumed that after our physical bodies are done, after we're parted with our physical bodies, that Mm -hmm. somehow there is like a reckoning of peace. Mm-hmm. or you know like whether whether you believe you go back into the energy of the universe or there's a physical heaven or it's a different consciousness or whatever that belief system is for you i i've never heard anybody question well couldn't the person who passed on still be in pain from separation from their loved ones i've never heard that before mhm
1: Like my mind is. Yeah. And I was like, huh. And I was like, this is something to definitely to think about and to to grapple with. And, you know, I think the closest I got to this, considering this, and this is going to be just show you how my mind works. But (laughs) I, you know, I grew up in the Baptist church and I'm now non-denominational usually is the, the churches that I go to. But I was talking with a friend and I was like, look, you know, I was like, we're both Christians and believe in salvation. I was like, but I'm going to tell you right now that if they if God puts my house beside Mitch McConnell's, I'm going to have to move. (laughs) And I was like, I'm not doing it and I was like I feel like I'd be in heaven upset and I think I'm supposed to be at peace and chill and like down with everything but I won't be <laughs> I won't be at all and I was like that was the closest I got to being like oh could there be pink so I was like there's definitely gonna be annoyance I'm definitely yeah. gonna be upset
0: and I was like I'm yeah. not singing on the choir with so and so, like, like yeah, kidding. no, you're like, you're like in heaven, giving side eye to whoever is right. is grieving you. Yeah, oh my god, so I was Mitch like, McConnell. oh. So when he said
1: that, I was like, oh yeah, this is like a further, much better worded, more important. <laughs> voicing of this thing I have an issue with. I was, I had a neighbor complaint, but you were talking
0: about love. Okay, but it's not so much a neighbor complaint. If Mitch McConnell is my neighbor, I'm just going to be like, can I go to the bad place? Like, maybe it's... <laughs>
1: I, Hi, I would Ted like Danson's to put there. It's crazy for a transfer. Um, Thank you. So this all leads him to, you know, asking the question, how can we believe that God is good? After all, he goes after, he didn't say it this way, but this is how I put it. I was like, after all, he crucified himself. Oh my God.
0: <laughs> Maybe he's crazy. <laughs>
1: I was like, after all, that's how he decided to fix that. <laughs> And he put it in a much more, not as comical way, but I was like, this is how I'm going to write
0: it. I love this. Please write this in your (laughs) stand-up.
1: And he's just saying, you know, he takes us through so much pain. So he kind of starts just <laughs> considering things. And he's like, is it rational to think that God's bad? Like maybe we're so depraved that we think good is bad and bad is good and all this. And mm-hmm. and he just concludes at the end, he's like, this is the senseless writhings of a man who doesn't want to accept that the only thing to do with suffering is to suffer it. And I thought that was yeah. such a great way to put that because it's like you're trying to figure this out. You're trying to get the cheat code. And the thing about grief and pain is that. The only thing to do with them is experience them. Yeah.
0: I use this sort of, I don't know if you're, it's not an analogy or a metaphor really, but this idea Mm -hmm. um, that's helped me is like, because a lot of people will numb or avoid or, you know, in grief, this idea that when something tragic happens, when you lose someone or something that you hold dear, a an amount of pain has just been dropped in your lap. Mm -hmm. And it could be an enormous amount of pain. It could be a small amount of pain, medium, whatever. But you have to like swallow that pain, eat that pain, let it move through you. Mm -hmm. You can do a little bit at a time. You can do a lot. You can avoid that. You can say, nope, there's nothing on my lap. I'm fine. I'm going to drink alcohol instead, or I'm going to do this other thing instead, whatever. But The best way that I can describe my own experience is like, okay, I have to continue to consume this and go through it Mm -hmm. to have a better feeling of well-being eventually, Mm -hmm. to get to a place where I can function again.
1: Yeah. And then the final thing in chapter two is he says that grief also feels like suspense, that it feels like waiting. So now chapter three, which I put into two subheadings, which is a lot of H. And a
0: lot of God. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I'm sensing a theme. I'm sensing a power. A lot of H. A lot of God. Um. So he says that he feels a
1: sense of wrongness with everything when he's not thinking about H, and he knows that that feeling will eventually end. But what's after that? Is it empath- apathy? Is it a, a dead flatness? Like, is there anything after, um, not feeling that way? You know, it's like you feel bad. But what happens after bad, you don't want to let this person go and and you yeah. kind of see him starting to think about, oh, what 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 is after recovering, quote unquote, though so you never truly do that.
0: Mm-mm. And no, you just find a way to, like, fold the pain into your insides in a way where you can still walk upright in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And so he kind of switches over to
1: to grappling with God again here. And he's questioning what grounds he has for doubting what he believes. He's like, my, my faith is faltering. He's like, we got promised that we would suffer, but it's different when the suffering is yours and not someone else's. Yes, it <laughs> when is, it's, when yeah. it's real and it's not imagined. And he essentially and unbearable. Right. And he concludes, he's like, oh my gosh, my faith was a house of cards this entire time. Because he feels like if he'd cared, really cared, as he thought he did about the sorrows of the world, then he wouldn't be so overwhelmed when his own sorrows came. And now this Mm -hmm. is a part, though, where I feel like where he and I disagree a little bit, which feels weird to say about a man who is clearly so much smarter than me. But (laughs) I think (laughs) you're allowed. You're perfectly allowed. I think that grief, this kind of pain is one of those situations where it's an until it happens
0: to you sort of thing. Yes, correct.
1: And some people will never experience certain types of pain and certain types of grief, right? Not every wife becomes a widow. Not every parent loses a child. Not every child loses a parent. Some mm-hmm. of us will never experience certain situations. Thank thank God. Like there are certain mm-hmm. things I hope I never experience. So I was like, I think, I think this is a moment where I'm like, I think it will be a little hard on yourself because I I'm like, there's, there's certain things that will topple us and we can truly believe. I was like, I think maybe everyone's house is a house of cards. I don't mm-hmm. think he's unique in that um, mm-hmm. because I think it's an until it happens to you type of situation. Right. And he says that, you know, what he's seeing is that the stakes have to be high to knock a person out of just thinking about something Verbally or having notional beliefs, you know, and 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 he's like, yeah, H would have said, the sooner the house can come down, the better. So he asks himself, will he move past? Will he be? Will he be rebuilding a house of cards? And is it a house of cards because what he believes is a dream? Mm -hmm. Because he's questioning his faith, or because he only dreams that he believes in them? It's not a solid faith. So. He then and how do you cultivate that, right? Afterwards? Yeah, and it's like how am I, how are we rebuilding? So then he he makes a comparison of God to a surgeon whose intentions are completely good, and he's like, the kinder he is, the more inexorably he will go on cutting. If he stopped before the surgery was complete, all that pain up to that point would be useless. It would be mm-hmm. for nothing. So he's wondering, like, is this pain even necessary? And he's like, if the more we believe that God only hurts to heal, the less we can believe that there is any use in begging for tenderness. It's one of those mind shakers. And I, and I've had this, this thought before, you know, sometimes when people are like, so-and-so is sick, uh, like, please pray for them, pray for healing. And I was like, well, God already knows whether he's healing them or not. So (laughs) like, and I still pray and I still think it's important to do that. And I still think that there's power in prayer. You're getting to see all the things I question about my faith. Um, Mm -hmm. but I'm also like, if he already knows what he's doing and he does, what does me doing anything have
0: to do right, with anything? Right. And that's
1: Lew- Lewis. Lewis is like, now- he, you're not like,
0: oh, he'll hear my plea and change his mind. Right.
1: I was like, if he's right. saying
0: something, and I, if this is what we're seeing,
1: Lewis grappling with. He's like, is my God good or bad? Or am I ridiculous? Or is it like, what, what is going on? And he's just, what's, been the, completely, what's the grander purpose? Right. He's been completely this. flipped over. So mm. and he goes kind of back to H here where he's just saying after many weeks, he, he wakes up one morning and his heart feels lighter. And he re- he realizes he actually remembers H better now. Because he's partly over it. And he's like, you can't see clearly through blurred eyes. When you are so high on the grief mountain, everything Mm. is like blurry there. And so it kind of like that takes him back to, to God and thinking about God. And he's like, looking back at that slammed, that door that he was like, it was slammed in my face and bolted. He, um, that he mentioned in chapter one, he's like, oh, I might've been like a drowning man who you cannot help because they're clutching and they're grabbing. And he's like, mm. and perhaps I was crying so loud that I deafened the voice that I de- I desperately wanted to hear. Oh. He's like, maybe I was not abandoned. I was just in such grief and in such pain that I could not hear that I could not be helped in the way that I, I wanted to be. But I could, I didn't know that at the time which is mm-hmm. something so kind of interesting to think about. And so it's here that he finishes the thought about grief that he'd had in chapter three, which he's like grief feels like suspense because it stems from the frustration of so many impulses that had become habitual for that person who no lo- who's no longer here. So they no longer have a purpose. They no longer have their person. Yeah. And i feel This made me think about my grandfather who I I lost at 12 and he used to pick me up from school like every day. He wasn't someone who um, laughed very easily. So it would always be kind of my like thing would be to try to make him laugh, like to try to find the thing that Mm -hmm. was like funny, you know? (laughs) And, you know, after he was gone, everyone else kind of laughed a lot easier in my family. And I was like, oh, this thing I did, this thing I would do doesn't need to be done anymore. It's 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 not there or, you know, he would uh every Friday he'd either we'd either go get Jamaican patties or we go get KFC. The man loved him some KFC. So That's amazing. But there would be days where sometimes he would just randomly surprise me by having patties in the car and I would get in the mm. car and I'd like smell them and it would be like <laughs> a, a way, like I'd be like, "Are there patties in here?" and he'd like pull them out, you know, like it was like a oh, game. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and but that game doesn't exist with anyone else yeah and so i think that's what he's he's saying he's like oh these like habits they were they were for someone and they don't they don't exist anymore and yeah and he's like death and separation you know he's like i feel like they're they have to be felt by both like they they they're possibly felt by the living and the dead partner and all pairs not just romantic he's like without exception, that bereavement is universal and an integral part of our experience of love. It's one of the phases. And so he starts to talk about it like, oh, this is a part of the whole process. Like we are kind of, we focus so much on the finding the person and you're being with them and then they die and that's it. Right. Mm -hmm. But he's like, no, the, the death part is another phase that goes past that. Oh, for the person wow. who's died and for the person who stays here. And he says, you know, when he stopped worrying about his memory of H, he now seems to be able to have such a much more massive sense of 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 who she is and and that she is. He might not be getting visited by her or whatever. He's like, but she just is now that I've stopped worrying about it
0: mm. in that way. So he feels like he can see the forest. Right.
1: And he says he realizes that he, that God didn't do this as a trial or a test of his faith or love. He's like, God being God already knew their quality. This it was him who didn't know what it was. This has shown him what his faith and his love looks like. And I was like, oh, that's such a like mature way to look at. it. Yeah. He's like, it was my bad. Yeah, he's like, it was me learning. This was all about me having a yeah. lesson. And so he, he then compares the, the losing of H to the amputation of a leg. And he's like, you're, oh. you're, he's like, strength will be regained, but not a day goes by where you forget. Correct. You don't, you're not going to forget that your leg is gone. There will be recurrent pain. There will be good days. There will be bad days, but life is forever different. And then um, I feel like he might have touched on this earlier, but he's like, he says he's feeling better, but that comes with shame because he feels like he should still be unhappy. Um, and he's like, I know H wouldn't approve of this. God wouldn't approve of this. And he's like, maybe these, are, he lays out two possible reasons for why you feel like you should have this like prolonged unhappiness. And he says, partly vanity. To prove that they were lovers on a grand scale, to like show like if you get over it too fast, how how deep could that relationship have been, right? You know, yeah, people and I, I don't think that. you
0: ever get over it, but right. yeah.
1: That sort of if you recover well. Or you're like you're functioning in a way that people see as normal.
0: Yeah. To quickly. You reach a place of well being faster right. than yeah. Than people think is acceptable. So it's like partly you're
1: like, oh, I'm thinking about how other people are gonna perceive my behavior. And
0: then right, he's like al- almost like the grieving should be proportionate to the intensity of the love. Or right. The so he, the people were just
1: like, I'll never love again. <laughs> <Isn't it? laughs> and they are like, okay. And that just means that it was like a real deep love. Um, and mm-hmm. then this, the other reason he's like, I think it's partly confusion. Like we want, he says, what you actually want is something else with, of which grief is a frequent sy- symptom. We want to live our marriage, our relationship, romantic, familial, or pl- platonic well through this phase too. We don't want to desert them and feeling better no longer feeling grief all the time feels like doing just that.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. To feel,
1: to feel whole and complete can't be right. So we try to still ache. And he writes that aching, you know, you can't ache for aching sake. The relationship can still be preserved outside of grief and suffering.
0: Right. Wow.
1: And so, you know, he's like, in, in these moments of, he's like, of, of least sorrow, he's like, H just rushes to my mind and in her fullest reality. But then he says something, and you, and you definitely touched on this, which is that, but grief does return. You go in circles, possibly spirals, and he doesn't know oh how many God. times it's going to happen. He's like, that's a part of experiencing grief.
0: Yes. I, I remember the way I was able to track my progress, so to speak, was how much time elapsed between breakdowns. <laughs> so do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. The first few months were like many breakdowns every day. Mm-hmm. And then like maybe four months out, it was like... A breakdown or two every day. And a couple months later, it was like a breakdown every other day and then a breakdown every week and then every month. And, you know, and now we're seven and a half years out from, uh-huh. from my personal experience. And sometimes it still hits me like a freight train out of nowhere, mm-hmm. but it's less frequent. Yeah. It's always, it's always intense, but that, you know, my experience is like, right, it's just sort of, it's coming, but it's like a boomerang that's getting slower mm-hmm. <laughs> before yeah. it comes back.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, you, you won't forget. And, and so chapter four, the final chapter, and he said, when he started writing this, he thought he was going to be describing a state of being. But what he learned is that sorrow isn't a state. It's a process. Mm. He he writes, grief is like a long valley, a winding valley where any bend may reveal a totally new landscape. So I felt like in, in saying this, he was kind of going a little bit back on what he just said about going around in circles. And it's more like a long trip where parts seem very similar or familiar, but you aren't repeating. Like you said, it's, it's, it's like a little bit different. It's a li- there's, is a little bit of, like the tenor is different or the cadence is different. And you're like, you're still experiencing grief, but it's not exactly the same. So there is, yeah. I guess, for lack of a better word, growth there. And he said the two major gains he got from this is one, that the door to God is not locked. And two, that H is no longer the mental image that he made. And he's so happy that she's not that. And he says progress is not sudden, like the warming of a room. It's been taking place for some time before you noticed. That's a beautiful way to put that. Mm-hmm. And for him... He said, praise helps praising God as the giver of H who he sees as a gift. He said, praise is a mode of love that has joy in it. And he leaves this with two convictions. The first is the eternal vet. So the eternal vet is going back to his amputation analogy. And he says the eternal vet suffers more pain than he'd ever imagined. And then the second thing is a resemblance, a symbol, a photograph is a link, but he wants H he, We want that person back. And he's like, that's the same thing with God. He's like, images of the holy easily become holy images. And those ideas then get shattered with God's revealing of truths. All reality is iconoclastic. Lewis wants H with all her resistances, faults, her unexpectedness. And that's what we were um, still in love with. Not any image or memory after they are gone, we are in love with them. So he compares that to loving God. He's like his worship of God, his love for age can't be a a love for the idea of them, but it's a love for them. He said, it's not easy to confuse one with the other when the person is here in front of us, but it's really hard after they're gone, you know, separating that idea of them in their mind from who is actually them. Right. And he basically closes it out with like questions for God and he's speculating on whether or not these are even seen as good questions, um, because we're coming at it from like a human mind. And he's like, I'm asking all these questions and you know, for all I know they're being interpreted by God as like me asking what shape is yellow. (laughs) <laughs> and right, he's like we're just right. like doesn't even make sense and he's like but you know and um and then he goes into it gets real existential because then he's like uh mm-hmm. is it's like he's like I he has speculations about heaven and what comes next and the expansion of our understanding and love and intimacy for the dead and it's like this i'm i'm, I'm sure he could have written a whole book about just like the last paragraph of this book so i'm not gonna delve into all those things sure um but I think what was just so great about this was that I think that this book is not only about his grief, his, him coming to terms with it and, and the defeating emotional paralysis of it, but it's also about his understanding of love. Right. And that's what I love about it. So yes, that's that's the grief observed.
0: (laughs) <laughs> amazing job. I cannot believe that you came on as a guest and tackled this book. This is amazing. <laughs> amazing job. So first things first, did this book need to be written? Yes,
1: it definitely needed to be written. I'm so glad he decided to journal this this tragedy.
0: Me too. And when someone who has the gift of capturing emotions as evocatively and beautifully as he does in conveying them in such a clear and resonant way... I am grateful Uh that he wrote about his experience in this because he's saying things that I haven't had language for, like you were saying at the beginning. Um, Wild card question. Do you feel like this book will comfort people who are grieving?
1: I think it could. I mean, I guess it just depends on how they're doing with it. But for when I first read it, I wasn't grieving at the time. I think I was more coming at it with like, I have questions for God. But I think that I would have found it comforting to know that someone else was struggling because we don't like to talk about it. We don't like to talk about that. Like you said, especially now it's like feel good and happy and it's your mindset. And you're just like being a Debbie Downer. And I think he is so openly in it. Yeah. And that you need that. Very authentic. Yeah. He's like, this is how I'm feeling. Like, yeah, I feel better today and I feel guilty for feeling better. I'm like, Oh my gosh. Yes. That is a thing. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, that's a huge
0: part. of yeah. it. Yeah. That's a huge part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so who is this per- book perfect for? And who's it terrible for?
1: So I think that this book is perfect for anyone who's experienced grief or just like wants a better understanding of it from someone's firsthand experience, um, and not a look at it that's necessarily like academic because there are people who like study grief and I don't think he's not coming at it from that way. Um, and then I think it could probably really annoy atheists and agnostics, (laughs) possibly, um, Because so much of what he's grappling with has to do with faith in God. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sure that could get old if you don't believe that there's a God or, you know. um, But I, I just think so much of it to me, too, coming out of it the second time around, what he has to say about H and their marriage and love is so beautiful. That I'm like, it's worth it just for that. Like, if you want to skip the God parts, you could do that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds yeah. It sounds like there's a lot to be gleaned. Yeah. For just, being such a short book. Yeah, I cannot believe this book is only like 104 pages, like cover <laughs> to cover or whatever that is. Yeah. So. Is there anything that you put into practice from this book? So I think from
1: initially reading it, I put into practice that it was okay to question things that I thought I couldn't or shouldn't question without shame. Like, I'm not going to hurt God's that. feelings um, and giving, you know, and I was like, if this is someone that, and I had a Bible teacher in high school who who said something similar, but I don't think I was truly listening at the time because I was mm-hmm. a teenager and None of us were. Yeah, that it's like he was, you know, it's like if your faith can't stand up to your questions, why have it? What is the what is the what is the point if it can't even stand up to your questions? You know, so I was just like, it's fine to question and then to seek out those answers or to Mm -hmm. seek out people who can help you answer them without being ashamed of it. And the other thing I took was like giving myself and other people some grace when it comes to grief. We all react differently we all swim through it uniquely and you know lewis was one of this, the greatest writer thinkers especially about christianity and he became just as like angry and lost and confused as the rest of us we're we're human
0: we're human we are and i i like to say everybody gets a pass in grief everybody mm-hmm. because like after my dad died i saw some of the ugliest parts of the people that i love mm-hmm. and it's like some people were in the anger phase or the fear phase and it made Mm -hmm. them act selfishly or lash out or, you know, insert behavior you didn't think was possible from X person here Mm -hmm. kind of a thing. But I, I truly do feel like everybody gets a pass in grief. Mm-hmm. So if you, for everyone who's listening, if you know somebody who's grieving right now, including oh, because of the pandemic or especially because of the pandemic mm-hmm. that's happening and and they're acting in irrational ways, do your best not to take it personally and mm-hmm. just to give grace exactly like you're saying, Nikita, like everybody gets a pass. It doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean you won't have a corrective conversation later on. Yeah, But just knowing that like the world doesn't make sense to that person in the same way it maybe did yesterday mm-hmm. is something that yeah, would be helpful. Definitely. Um, do you have any homework for me? Is there grief homework? <laughs> um, well, I, I decided to read
1: an article about, um, all the thing it's called it's by the, it's by the Atlantic. It's in the Atlantic, not by, um, but it's called all the things we have to mourn now. You know, it's about how people are experiencing different kinds of loss simultaneously right now yes I think you know maybe a good homework would be kind of to just like write write out those things that you feel that you maybe you haven't even taken the time to think about but like what are some things that you've lost since this started and to like acknowledge those things because that's half the problem right acknowledging the thing you know yeah it is and uh I had someone ask you know what's the first thing you're gonna do when you get out and i was like i think i'm going to go stand on the beach and they were like what you like cuz i i denigrate la beaches all the time you know you're, we're from florida we mm-hmm. have better beaches the yes, water's we- warmer like the, the sand is like sugar powder. It's, it's like, like it's like amazing. You know, yeah. on the Gulf side, on the um, Atlantic side, better. It's, right? It's all, all backwater. Mm-hmm. All, all <laughs> anytime someone's like, I'm like, fine, I guess I'll go, but only if it's like 85 or hotter. Or like the water. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Cold. Me too. I'm like, and it's so, so
0: cold. California's so cold. So cold. So
1: cold. And I was like, I'm g- gonna go stand on the beach. I was like, I think I. I'm mourning the beach right now. And I don't even like this beach. Like I was just, and Mm -hmm. it was a kind of realization to me where you're just, you're not even, I think we're not, some of us aren't even acknowledging the things that we've lost. So
0: maybe try to just take a moment.
1: Yeah. Take a moment, acknowledge it and give yourself some grace on it.
0: Thank you, Nikita. I yeah. will I'm not looking forward to this homework, full <laughs> disclosure, but I will do it. I will do it for you.
1: Yeah. I don't wanna I don't I wanna I know I know. But and I I will. Think
0: also one of the things that um
1: okay, there's a two this is a two-parter homework. So you're gonna do that. Oh my god. I'm sorry.
0: That not I'm sorry. enough. I know. I I'm adding I to my to list. I'm school. grieving the fact that Nikita is giving me so much homework. That's the thing. So first you're gonna make this list. list. You're gonna make this list, and then
1: I want you to Share it with whichever friend you you want, but maybe with talking to them, see a way in which you can possibly some of them can feel like less of a loss so for example, I had a friend who um one of my best friends, and she was supposed to leave for her honeymoon on May first, which mm. really cannot happen oh, right now damn, and it. so um, as it should, made her really, really sad, and so we were chatting about it, and I was like, let's talk about ways that you can relieve some stress and you and your husband can spend some time together that, yes, it's not a replacement, but can make you feel a little bit better about this loss. Right. You know, what can... Can it be a cooking class together that you do at home? Can it be a picnic Which would be by like a lake? new and
0: novel experience. Yeah,
1: just together. what can right. we... What can you do, you know? So it's... I, I think it's also helpful when you can kind of come up with a, something that feels a little bit like a solution. So I'm trying to, I'm going have you do the list, but I want you to build yourself back up.
0: <laughs> okay. Thank you. <laughs> what homework, my God. Um, Nikita, always a joy to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for doing this and for handling this book with such tact and insight and eloquence.
1: Thank you for having me. I was, it was such a good reason to like reread this and I yeah I th- I'm just as in love with it as I was all those years ago. It's so good. It's just yes, yeah. yes, Lewis.
0: <laughs> I hear that. I hear that. Okay, everybody. I'm sure you'll have lots of thoughts on this book. So write us. Uh, Go help yourself podcast at gmail com or slide into our DMs on Instagram. We are at Go Help Yourself Podcast and on Twitter we are at G H Y podcast. But honestly, let's be real. We all use Instagram more. So <laughs> don't forget to follow Nikita. Her her social media information is in the show notes. If you are interested in following her or seeing any of her stand up when the world reopens, <laughs> we'll <laughs> let you know. Um, and with that, everybody,
1: life, life is, is abundant. abundant. Yay! <laughs>